Hello, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I am Sarah and Jane is not here. Um, it is just me this week and I am joined by a special guest, our friend Taylor. Hello. Hello. Jane could not be here this week. She had some things come up. So I decided instead of not putting out an episode to go a little rogue and to have some fun chatting with my other friend, Taylor. How are you doing, Taylor? Oh, I am as okay as one can be Excellent. in a pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what Jane says every week. So you're already, you know, getting right in on the script. Yeah. Taylor, do you want to, like, tell people a little bit about yourself, like, what you do in life? Wow, okay. So, I work mainly at the same after-school program that Sarah and Jane used to work at, and Mm -hmm. obviously that is on hold right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also work at the public theater doing front of house, and that job also doesn't exist right now. So, however, normally what I do with my life is... Uh, I I write essays um, about film and TV, and I do a little bit of comedy. I started doing stand-up right before the quarantine happened, so um, who knows when that will happen again. However, uh, yeah, and hopefully in the future I will be doing something within education. I just really love those, those children. Yeah, we have that in common. Great. That was an awesome intro. So Taylor is joining me this week to talk about something that was not planned, but since Jane couldn't be here, I didn't want to talk about Natalie Wood without her. Although I'm sure you would love Taylor to hear me talk about Natalie Wood. And I can tell you a lot about Natalie Wood. (laughs) You can help me with my research because we're going to do that next week. Next week, you will get the stem cells and Natalie Wood episode that we had promised originally. Oh my God. Um, Well, if... Okay, the one thing I need to tell you about Natalie Wood, and I can text it to you later instead if you want, but she did not drown. I know, she didn't drown. She didn't have water in her lungs. No, she was, like, unconscious before she hit the water, and they know that because, like, when you drown, you pee yourself, and she didn't do that. She still had liquid in her body. Um, I'm glad that because that's the one thing that they leave out of most of the retellings of what happened but it's like in the main the the one podcast about her is like by her main biographer i guess anyways yeah uh, he mentions it in like the last episode and i'm like why why do you keep leaving that part out because that i think buzzfeed unsolved mentions that because i did know that i did know that um that they had certifiable evidence that she did not drown but also, um, I'm just going to text you because I have so many feelings about her. I have a lot family, of that. That's why Jane asked me to talk about it because I have a lot of feelings about it. Family is like in a feud with one another. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you've watched the new HBO documentary, but it is I need so, to. It will be part of my research. It's terrible. Uh, it made me so mad. Uh, like, um, Robert Wagner notoriously will not be interviewed by people and people mm-hmm. cannot talk to him except... This documentary, which was made by her daughter, her daughter was a child when she drowned, and yeah. also does not believe that her father had anything to do with it, despite any evidence. Also, this is her stepfather, and they, like, hate Natalie's sister, and they're, like, in a family feud with her, and they've been feuding over this case that's, like, cannot be solved because there's no evidence. They never, uh, like, 
looked under anyone's fingernails, so there's literally no evidence. They cannot solve the case, and their family is still feuding about it. Yeah, it's it's truly insane. Like, it's such a crazy case, and I can't wait to talk about it. Um, also, Christopher Walken's involved. That's my, like, favorite component, the Christopher Walken involvement. I'm so glad you're doing this. Like, I, I obviously am not the biggest fan of true crime. However, the Natalie Wood case doesn't... It doesn't make sense because we all know what happened and still nothing has been done about it. And, it's nuts. And, like, there's, like, her updated biography came out this year. Next year is going to be another biography by the guy who made the podcast. Her daughter just released a memoir. And, like, this case has, like, was reopened in 2018 but, like, cannot be solved. So people just keep writing about it as if something's going to change. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, like, it's something that we want to talk about because there are a lot of parallels between what happened to Natalie Wood and what happened to Naya Rivera. Um, I I think, I do think Naya Rivera had a very suspicious death, um, particularly with the elements following around her son just, like, being asleep and not seeming to know that his mother was gone. Like, that's very suspicious to me. I don't know. There's a lot of parallels for me, so it made me think of Natalie Wood. So I'm excited to talk about that, but that will be happening next week. Next week, we will talk about stem cell research and Natalie Wood. Um, but today, I want to talk about something that is very, very current and happening um, right now and has been going on and some things that have been going on for a while, and that is what's going on in Lebanon, um, particularly um events that led up to the Beirut explosion and sort of I wanted to contextualize what's going on in Beirut right now as a result of the explosion but also as a result of many many years of political unrest and how that kind of also you know makes more urgent the the crisis there obviously the explosion was very deadly and there are a lot of problems that have been caused by the explosion, but Lebanon was also a country in crisis before that explosion. So I just want to talk about that and kind of share a little bit of the history, recent history in Lebanon and what's going on there politically and what that means in terms of the explosion. Um, and Taylor's going to, you know, listen and respond. I, I am. I do know some things about it. The thing that I first heard about it that I kept thinking about was this is very odd, but like zombie movies because I've been watching a lot of them in quarantine. But Train to Busan is about um, like a zombie invasion, but it's due to like a corporation being negligent of yeah. um, the chemicals that they're knowingly mm-hmm. producing. And also the public theater just did Coal Country, which was a, pl- a documentary play about the coal mine explosion. And mm-hmm. I don't exactly remember where it was, but it was a similar thing that happened where the company like knew that there were chemicals that could kill people yeah. and they didn't do anything about it. So yeah. this is not something new is no. all I know. So like it, no. I'm assuming it could have been prevented and was Yeah. Not. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a great fan of horror movies and I love zombie movies. And I think zombie movies have so many elements of truth to that because there are many examples of zombie movies that are about the zombie apocalypse starting because of negligent governments. And I do think that there's so many, um, underlinings of truth to those. And I think horror, you know, and the supernatural speaks to truth in a little more, enter in a way that's supposed to be entertaining, but is no less truthful. And I love Train to Busan. I think it's such a wonderful movie. And I want to watch the, um, there's an animated prequel to it on Shudder, I think, that I want to watch. So that's cool too. 
So let's talk about um, Lebanon. <laughs> so before the explosion in Beirut a week ago on August 4th, Lebanon was already a country in extreme crisis. Protests have regularly been occurring in Beirut and other cities protesting the Lebanese government and a corrupt political system. So I'm going to give some background on that and on other important occurrences since the explosion. So Lebanon has a sectarian political system, which I'd never heard of. Um, but that means that the government is led by religious sects. Lebanon is composed of 18 different sects. Four of them are Muslim, 12 Christian. There's a Druze sect and a Judaism sect. And essentially what this means is that um, in th their government, you are represented in government by your religious affiliated party. So like one of the Muslim sects holds 10 seats in parliament. The other Muslim one holds maybe three seats in parliament, depending on size um, and influence. But essentially, this government has been in place since 1989 at the end of the Lebanese civil war. Um, however, many Lebanese politicians are sectarian warlords and are immune from punishment for their war crimes. And they came into power as a result of um, the political uprising in that civil war. There are several incidents that cause protests to begin to break out in October, and this is known as the October Revolution, and these protests have been ongoing since October in Lebanon. The prices of oil and bread has been increasing despite an increase in unemployment and poverty nationwide, with youth unemployment at 37% and general unemployment at 25% in August 2019, right before these protests started. But at one point in 2018, unemployment was 46%, and today it is 30%. Lebanon's population is 7 million. I also should mention that. Lebanon has not had stable 24-hour electricity since 1975. Obtaining 24-hour power in Lebanon requires cutting a deal with the country's generator mafia, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. They operate a ring of contraband gasoline generators. Um, so for most citizens, they receive an eight-hour daily power ration which I don't think they get to control when the power is on and off. I think it's like, this is your eight hours. It might be like two in the morning, two in the afternoon, evening, night, I don't know. Lebanon has also not had access to drinking water beyond purchasing bottled water since the end of the Lebanese civil war in 1990. In 2015, Lebanon faced a garbage crisis due to a lack of sanitation and sewage infrastructure, and this led to um, almost a year of protest called the 2015-2016 Lebanese protests. Um, it is also important to note that Lebanon was without a president from the 24th of May 2014 to the 31st of October in 2016 because parliament could not reach a two-thirds majority. Good. Like, yikes, right? So lots of problems there. Um, Lebanon is at risk for hyperinflation. In June 2020, Lebanon's inflation rate was 20% month to month. So this means each month prices were increasing 20%. And hyperinflation is when prices of goods and services change daily and raise by more than 50% per month. So imagine if every month a thing that you had to buy, the price went up by 50%. Jesus. Yeah, ideal. The U.S. inflation rate is about like one to two percent a year for like context. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, the people attributed these problems to lack of proper governance, which I would agree. 
In October 2019, in the cities of Chuf and Sadiat, there were a series of fires that destroyed homes and put many people in danger. It also burnt down a lot of nature. The Lebanese government did not employ planes to distinguish the fire, and Lebanon was left to rely on nearby countries like Cyprus and Greece and Turkey. These fires displaced hundreds of people and caused enormous damage. So then on October 17th, a couple of days later, the government proposed an increase on VAT tax to 15% by 2022. So imagine like that's like sales tax in America. But a sales tax in New York is 8%. In Lebanon, it's 15%. They also wanted to tax US apps like WhatsApp and FaceTime, which this is the part that I was like, I remember this. I remember there being a conversation about another country wanting to tax like people's ability to use WhatsApp, um, which obviously caused a huge problem. That same day, a hundred activists started protesting the new taxes in Beirut, which is the capital of Lebanon. Um, they ambushed the car of Minister of Higher Education, Akram Chehayeb. One of his bodyguards shot stray bullets into the air. No one was injured, but this really enraged the protesters. Walid Jumblat, um, who was the leader of the Progressive Socialist Party since 1977, he's had a long career leading the Socialist Party in Lebanon, demanded that the bodyguard be handed over to the police, saying that no one is safe from the law, but of course the bodyguard was not handed over. The protests grew bigger pretty much overnight. All schools and universities were then closed the next day by order of the Minister of Higher Education who had been attacked, quote unquote, in his car. Civil servants announced a strike with immediate effect through the League of Public Sector Employees, arguing that the proposed reforms would, quote, undermine the rights of employees and pensioners in particular. A cabinet meeting for the Lebanese government was due to be held in the afternoon, but ministers of the Lebanese forces, which is one of the Christian government sectors, announced that they would not attend. The le their leader, Samir Gagia, called for the resignation of the prime minister due to, quote, the resounding failure to halt the deterioration of the country's economic situation. This was on October 18th, the day after the, pro the first protest. On October 19th, the following day, Hussein Al-Attar was shot and killed during a protest. Um, the general secretary of Hezbollah, which is a Muslim sect in the Lebanese government, but this sect is backed by Iran and is highly militarized. Um, their general secretary, Hassan Nasrallah, did I say that right? I think so addressed the nation in the morning, speaking against the imposed taxes. Um, however, he did indicate that his sect, the Hezbollah, was against the government resigning, which is what the protesters were asking for, and instead asked the citizens to divert blame to the president's cabinet um, and the prime minister's cabinet, um, instead of blaming them, to blame the previous government that had set up the system um, and which was also to blame for the state of the economy. So it was a situation kind of like what you see in America that it's like, don't blame the politicians, blame the founding fathers. And it's like, okay, well, we can blame both. <laughs> right. Real quick. Can you hear that there's someone mowing the lawn outside? No. Okay, great. Because it's very loud to me. So we wanted to make sure you can't hear it. Oh, now that you said that, I just heard like one like buzzing noise, but no, I'm good. Okay, great. Yeah. Don't you worry. Um, so 
following this announcement from the general secretary of Hezbollah, people around the world joined Lebanon in protesting, which I do remember. This is a thing in October. On October 20th, hundreds of thousands of protesters gathered around the country, making it the largest demonstration in Lebanon since 2005. On the 21st of October, a general strike was called across the country, demanding an end to the country's economic problems, which I'm having trouble finding and understanding when they say demand an end to the economic problems, like what they wanted, because they were like, okay, fix the economy. But obviously the con the economy had so many issues and I'm struggling to understand exactly what the citizens wanted done. But my understanding is that they literally wanted the whole government uprooted and they wanted essentially to like start fresh mm -hmm. was the idea. Um, because the, economic system was broken within the government leaders. Right. In the afternoon of October 21st, uh, the prime minister held an emergency cabinet meeting. Um, following this, Prime Minister Hariri uh, held a press conference in which he announced various economic reforms, including having the salaries of legislators and members of parliament, reducing the deficit by about 3.4 billion US dollars in 2020 with the help of the Lebanese Central Bank, um, distributing financial aid to families living in poverty and giving 160 million US dollars in housing loans. But these proposals did not stop the protests because instead of just reducing the money that the government was being given, like their salaries, they wanted the government essentially to be uprooted because they already were corrupt. So giving them less money would not make them less corrupt mm -hmm. because Again, one of the largest sectors had the backing of Iran and was getting a lot of money from Iran. Anyway, Hariri met on um, the 22nd of October with ambassadors from the United States, Russia, France, the UK, Germany, Italy, and the European Union, along with representatives from China, the UN, and the Arab League. The prime minister discussed planned reforms and he stressed the importance of peaceful expression from the protesters, but the representatives who formed the international support group for Lebanon expressed the support for the people's demand for economic reforms and they wanted to protect the protesters who at this point the Lebanese government were treating as violent individuals. Um, but they did urge the leaders of Lebanon to engage in open dialogue with the country's citizens. Um, despite these calls for dialogue, from President Aoun the day before, protesters and roadblocks and protests continued through the following week on the 25th of October, 2019. So essentially the um, International Support Group for Lebanon said, you need to talk to the people. President Aoun called for peace talks, but the protesters did not want to meet. Um, or I do know that the president met with um, Walid Jumblat, who is the leader of the Socialist Party, but the like more citizens like average citizens did not want to meet with the president um and so the protest continued prime minister saad hariri then announced his resignation on a televised address on the afternoon of the 29th of october 12 days after the first protest broke out several hours following his resignation there were huge celebrations in the nation with demonstrators cautiously welcoming the resignation um and there was fireworks songs and 
balloons and celebrations and it all seemed well. Um, the following day, President Ayun delivered a speech um, in which he spoke about Lebanon's economic and financial crisis. He also spoke about his commitment to fighting corruption within the Lebanese government, which ensuring political stability, eliminating terrorists in the Lebanese area, and also allowing the return of Syrian refugees within the country. He also promised the new government will be made up by specialists instead of political loyalists. Following this speech, which reeked of corruption, the protesters took to the streets and blocked roads across the country almost immediately after it was over, and they demanded early parliamentary elections and the formation of a technocratic government. From this point on October, Lebanon saw over 100 days of mass protests. And then in January of 2020, a new government led by a nonpartisan prime minister took office. This new government is one third smaller. However, many citizens saw the new government as too little too late for a country in deep economic crisis. This new government is still backed by the Hezbollah, allowing their corruption and their military rule to continue. Um, as of now, the demands of the protesters are as follows. According to Amnesty International, they want an end to government corruption, an end to the sectarian political system, the recovery of stolen funds, and, hold, and they want to hold the corrupt accountable, they, which Right now, there's an amnesty policy that protects those politicians. Um, they want fair tax and financial procedures. The Lebanese government has also harassed journalists and individuals speaking out against them. Several journalists have been captured and interrogated in Lebanon without due cause. Um, they are violating the right to freedom of expression under international law, which uh, Amnesty International has taken up um, several court cases against them for this reason. It's also important to note that since October, since these protests started, Lebanon's currency has lost 70% of its value. The World Bank has projected that Lebanon's poverty rate will stand at nearly 50% in 2020. Since the new government took office, they have done little to alleviate the economic problems. And this leads us to one week ago. Last Tuesday, two explosions occurred at the port of Beirut. The second explosion caused at least 220 deaths, 7,000 injuries, and 10 to 15 billion US dollars in property damage. It has also left about 300,000 people homeless. The Lebanese government declared a two-week state of emergency. Um, in the aftermath of the explosion, protests erupted against the government for failure to prevent the explosion. There is now evidence that the Lebanese government knew the ammonium nitrate that caused the explosion was stored in the port unsafely and had been stored there for six years. President, yeah. I, <laughs> you're Almost talking like I totally predicted that and I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, there is evidence that they knew it was there. Um, or at least some sect knew it was there, you know. I'm positive that someone knew it was there, so. Oh, yeah. Um, president Aoun, who's still the president, said the government would provide support to displaced people and the Ministry of Health would meet the expenses of treatment for the wounded. Um, multiple members of the Lebanese parliament resigned in protest of the government on August 4th and 5th. They were like, we're done, and they left. Um, on August 9th, the information minister, Manal Abded Samad, and the environment minister, Damianos Qatar, resigned. And then on August 10th, just yesterday, the justice minister, Marie-Claude Nam, also resigned, followed by the entire Lebanese cabinet of the prime minister. So shortly after, Prime Minister Hassan Dayab, who had only been in office for nine months, stepped down from office. I think less than that. No, nine months. That's what, that's what Wikipedia said, nine months. 
um, President Michael Ayun accepted the resignation. Um, and then as he was resigning, the former, now former Prime Minister Hassam Dayeb said this. I said that corruption is rooted in every part of the state, but I found that corruption is greater than the state. This disaster is the result of chronic corruption. So that's, you know, not the cheeriest. Um, but here's what you can do to help the victims of the explosion and help relief in Lebanon in general, not just because they had a major disaster, but because they are a country in crisis. You can, you can donate to CARE, which is a humanitarian organization fighting global poverty. The Humanity Inclusion Organization, which focuses on people with disabilities. INARA, which provides aid relief and assistance to children. International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, which is the world's largest humanitarian network. The Lebanese Red Cross um, or the British Red Cross Emergency Fund for Lebanon. You can donate to the UN World Food Program, International Medical Corps, Islamic Relief, Save the Children's Lebanon Relief Fund, Impact Lebanon's crowdfunding campaign, or Baitna Baitak, which is providing free housing to the displaced people as a result of this explosion. And that is what is going on in Lebanon. Yeah, wow, okay. That is, I, I mean, I didn't know the specifics, but that sounds about what I would have thought is going on. My question is, I don't know if you know this, you don't have to keep this in the podcast if you don't know the answer, but I, can try. I, can have an I am interested in like the US involvements in it because I know a lot of countries in the Middle East are in the states that they're in because of US involvement. Um, and I want to know like if Lebanon is part of that or if that's more, if that's mainly like Iraq. Right. So I think that would go back to the Lebanon Civil War, which let's just find out if we were involved. <laughs> um, because like a, a lot of problems with the Middle East often come from like the U.S. bombing the country and then, uh -huh. but it doesn't, it maybe doesn't sound like that's the root cause of. I don't think that's the case in this specific instance. So I do know from a quick Google, um, history.com says that during the Lebanese Civil War, um, 800 U.S. Marines were deployed to Beirut to oversee Palestinian withdrawal from Lebanon, um, which had, I don't know, I don't know a lot about the Lebanese Civil War. I mostly know what was the, the result of it was this government system that they have now. Um, but essentially, yeah, so essentially, according to this, the U U.S. Marines um, did go into Lebanon to try to operate a ceasefire between Palestine and Lebanon. Um, and in 1984, Ronald Reagan withdrew the troops, um, which was six years before the end of the Civil War. Um, so there was an attempted intervention, but I do not think it was successful. Um, so at the moment, I do not believe that there is a presence of U.S. troops in Lebanon, at least not in the same way that we occupied Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan. Well, um, that's, you know, okay. <laughs> All yeah, of it is bad, but at least the U.S. has not made it worse yet. Right. I'm going to Google U.S. presence in Lebanon. <laughs> History of the U.S. and Lebanon. That's amazing the things you can find in the, on the internet. Like, you can really just know anything, you know? Yeah, because, um, like, 
it's very much a political tactic for the U.S. to be involved in international relations, as we know. Yeah. But it does sound like this case is different. In that okay, case. so this is interesting. So in June of 2019, before the protest broke up, the Trump administration imposed sanctions on three senior Hezbollah officials in Lebanon. Um, they were added to the U.S. Treasury Department's sanction list and were accused of having a malign agenda to support the Iranian government. So because we are... We're not at war with Iran, but we're opposed to Iran. And Lebanon is, this faction of the Lebanese government is an ally with Iran. Um, the U.S. does have sanctions against them. Like, we won't, you know, trade with them, have diplomatic relations with them um, in any way. Um, also, in November 2018, the U.S. Treasury Department put four members of the Hezbollah on the list of specially designated global terrorists. So they recognize members of this government as terrorists. Um, um, in 2012, there was a deadly car bombing in Beirut that killed the Lebanese chief of intelligence, which anytime a chief of intelligence dies, you know that it was not just like a weird accident. Um, um, and the American government backed the Lebanese political opposition coalition's call for a new cabinet free of Syrian influence um, at that time, because um, there was a long period, I believe, even during the Lebanese Civil War, that Lebanon was under heavy influence of the corrupt Syrian government as well. So that also was happening. But that's all I see as far as recent involvement between the U.S. and Lebanon. Okay. Right. I don't, again, I don't believe that there are any U.S. forces currently stationed in Lebanon. You know, you take what you can get sometimes. You can. You can. It's so hard because it's like last week I talked about refugees. And it's one of those situations where it's like, I'm so glad I don't live in one of those countries. But then at the same time, when I describe the states of their government that caused them to be displaced, I could use those same statements to apply to the U.S. government, which is very scary. Yeah. I, I mean, like. I think a lot of, so I'm going to sit up. <laughs> She's getting ready. I, mean, like, I don't have more to say other than like, so one of my best friends from high school, this is how I became radicalized. Mm -hmm. um, however, one of my best friends from high school um, was a refugee, not refugee, but like immigrant from Iraq. Um, mm -hmm. But it's because our country bombed them. Yeah. And um, so they lost their home and so they moved here. And that's a lot of refugee like experience is that mm -hmm. the country is bombed be by the United States in mm -hmm. an attempt to like, form democracy yeah. um, because I think we can just like like put all of our values in place in other places um, so then it, it's just like all of the governments are a result of the US and also like if they're bad they're bad in the same way it's just we have more money so right Right. And there are so many examples of like, there are many people who are refugees as a result of a government uprising because their government was not a representative government. And so it's like, okay, well, at least we have a representative government, but there's still so many corruptions within us having a representative government that it's like, and I would never in a million years look at a person who lives in Bangladesh and be like, yeah, the US is just as bad. Like, no, you know, but I think it's different. I think corruption takes different forms. Um, 
That's it. That's a good, that is a much better way of putting it than I just did. You, <laughs> um, I just, and we yeah. all know I don't like the United States of America. And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, I did this whole thing about refugees and being like, well, at least we have, like, at least we can vote for our, official, our elected officials. And now they're trying to take away the mail systems that we can't vote. And I was like, this is like what again that is a sign that i look at when i'm like oh these are all these systems that were in place that caused revolutions and explosions and wars that led to refugees like one of them is like the government literally trying to strip people of their rights so yeah i think the thing with the u.s is that everything is like disguised this is why Mm -hmm. so like when trump was elected i was in I was in, like, my, like, feminist media studies, like, uh, mm-hmm. court class, and that year was about the election, and we were talking about, like, when he got elected, he doesn't have, like, he has the same policies as George Bush did, and most Republican administrations, it's just that he's very vocal about it and doesn't, yeah. like, code his language in the same yeah. way that they did, and yeah. so I think there's this just, like, idea in america that the government's gonna tell us something and since the like we live in an individualist country where where people don't care about each other and they don't care to like unpack or have media literacy to understand what they're saying they're just like oh yeah the government's working for us even though like most a lot of people in our country still can't vote because you can't vote if you're in prison and a lot of the people running for president don't believe that prisoners should vote and so like I don't know what I'm trying to get at other than, like, the U.S., like, the way we, we like, run our government is just very coded. And so it is. Mm-hmm. when bad things happen, pe- like, the general population just, like, ignores them and thinks that everything's going fine because they, they just don't know. Right. It's true. It's super true. Um, so, on that not so cheery note um thank you for listening taylor i appreciate it it was nice to have a person to talk to of course any time thank you so much for listening you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook at ykwibw podcast you can check out our website i've been wondering.com if you like what you're hearing i just forgot the spiel if you like what you're hearing you can donate to us on the link in the show notes or consider leaving us a five-star review on itunes and finally if you have something you've been wondering you can email us at i've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we'd love to put it on the show and finally i will be including in the show notes some links to places that you can donate to help the people of lebanon and beirut um, so please consider doing that if you are able or share the links to other people who you think are able um normally this is where jane and i are like you know what i've been wondering but (laughs) we already know what we've been wondering next week we will be back with stem cells and natalie wood taylor thank you so much for joining us today you are so welcome honestly okay i'm not gonna ask to be a guest on the natalie wood episode but can i be in the zoom so i can listen to it yeah you can be a guest taylor will come back next week (laughs) will i yeah, I'd love to have I, I never expected in my life to become a Natalie Wood expert in the past year when it happened to be relevant um, uh, completely unexpectedly. But I would love to hear your conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So Taylor will join us next week for our Natalie Wood conversation as well, which is super exciting. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.